I want to say happy Father's Day to you, Dad. It's great to have you as a dad. Thank you for your faithful, consistent love over my, over my life. Uh, just, I have some really good memories as a kid. Uh, one of my, some of my favorite memories, my dad, remember, I don't know if you guys have been in this area, but the King of Prussia Mall used to have something called the Spaceport. It was the arcade. Like, you could actually play, you know, the arcade games. I mean, they had some retro things going on, so that was really fun. New golf course and adventures. Uh, but one of the things that really sticks out is the adventures he would take me. They were, in my mind, these big adventures. We go down to the city of Philadelphia. I think he was just doing some work. But after grabbing a soft pretzel, sometimes we would head down the street. We'd find someone who's like on the side of the road, wasn't doing great, homeless. And he would bring them, I would just go with him, and he would bring them to like a shelter or something. It was incredible. It made a really big impact on my life. It's kind of this like little thing, I mean, maybe it was a big thing, but it made a big impact on me, so thank you for modeling that for me. It really made, uh, yeah, it's, it put some things in my heart that are still there today, um, and so, I, I mean, for me, being a dad are, is one of my favorite things to do. So this week, uh, we got to go see the new Spider-Man movie. Anyone see that one? It's good, recommended. Uh, and then just yesterday, which was a long day, but it was a good day, we went to Dorney Park with, with uh Isaac, and it was for his birthday, which is uh, tomorrow, which is really fun, and got to bring the kids along. So I would say, of all the things I do in my life, my dad, being a dad is probably the most rewarding thing, um, but it's also simultaneously one of the most uh, difficult things, too, because there's, there's the, the, just the weariness, the tiredness, giving, constant giving, but um, there's, you know, there's the financial end of things, but uh, there's the part where your kids get hurt. And you kind of have the responsibility to do that. So just this week, while we're doing these things, I was taking one of my kids to the doctor as well. So it's challenging. Uh, I, but I would say of all the things that are most challenging is emotionally, it's when, when my, my kids not just get hurt or when, they, when there's a break in the relationship. If they're, if they're rebelling against me or they're not listening, picking up what I'm putting down, so to speak, uh, that's, that's a challenge. And that I've shared a little bit about that over the course uh, of the years, but I'm deeply thankful, and I know many fathers today are here deeply thankful, so I'm, I'm thankful for our fathers and fathers. I think we can say together we're really grateful for our kids, so it's really great to have you, and uh, I just, we're um, ultimately thankful to God for, for his gift of fatherhood. Uh, I want to address, though, the fact that in the fatherhood, and when we talk about fatherhood again, every, it seems like every year there's, there's issues that comes, that comes to fatherhood. So for some, for some folks, it's hard to relate to God as a father because of difficult experiences they've had. Maybe you didn't grow up without a father, or you grew up without a father, you didn't have a father, or your father is a really bad relationship, you were treated, uh, mistreated by your father. Um, perhaps in your fatherhood you have kids who are missing from your life right now, um, or you were mistreated by a spiritual father of some sort. I mean, there's just 101 different stories. And a lot of people that I've spoken to and ha- who have a difficulty in their relationship uh, with God uh, have had significant issues um, with their father. So just want to address that today. We can bring that to God in prayer. And my hope is that as we look at what God's word says, uh, that we will be able to uh, just understand and get caught up more deeply God's heart for us, that we can experience the joy that God has for each of us, even in the midst of whatever difficulty you might be having in your relationship with your dad or your children. So let's, let's pray. Take a moment, just pause a moment to pray uh, through the issues, and then we'll start our sermon series, which is called God's Heart for the World. Um, and today's, the title of today's message is uh, The Father's Plan. So let's, let's do that. Lord, um, 
I ask for your mercy. Holy Spirit, would you fill this room and fill the hearts and the minds of, of your people and everyone here today and everyone listening to this message? I ask that there would be grace for fathers who are struggling. I ask there would be grace for sons and daughters who, uh, for whatever reason, might be uh, challenged in their relationship with their, their father. And would you come and fill that void, Lord? Holy Spirit, fill us up and renew us, restore us, and get us, help us get caught up in the joyous adventure of what you're calling us to, who we are, who our identity is, and help us understand your great love that you have for each and every one of us. And it's uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, um, as we continue our sermon series, God's Heart for the World, one of the things we see is that God had the world in his heart from the beginning. From the very beginning, both the earth and the people who were in it were part of God's tremendous plan, and he, uh, he created the world and everything in, it in his image. So let's look at Genesis 1, 27 to 28. So going back to the beginning, it says this, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And in verse 28, says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So in the beginning, God created a place and a space where people, his beloved creation, human beings, could dwell together in loving unity with himself. That he, as a father and his spiritual children, who were made in his likeness, could then fill the earth with his likeness. So he created people who were like him, so that on this place, in this specific place, humanity could represent and expand his glory and honor all throughout the earth. However, as you know, the story goes, you've heard, under the influence of a rebellious being, being the devil, who took control and influenced these people, they rebelled against the Father, and destruction, sin, all bad things started happening all throughout the world in the history, and they turned and worshipped created things rather than the Creator. And these gods themselves... The gods of the nations, as the Bible refers to, were part of God's heavenly family who rebelled against him. And then the people who rebelled against God began to serve these other false gods or these gods who were part of God's family but no longer. So the, the rebellion that happened in the heavenly realms trickled down into the earthly family. And so God's heavenly and earthly family, which he desired from the beginning to be one, was now broken and fractured. But God of course, had a plan, and his plan was to bring redemption. So we look a little bit later on in Genesis, and we see that God chose a man named Abram. He was a pagan idol worshiper who knew nothing about God, and he called him out to be a great nation to bless the world. Let's look at Genesis 12, 1 to 3. So that here's how the story continues. So Lord said to Abram, there's a lot I'm skipping, of course, in between, but this is kind of a glimpse of this great story of God the Father. Say, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's interesting, that word peoples in Hebrew, it means families. It, it's meaning families of peoples, the different, the different peoples there. And so God likes to think in terms of families, 
uh, and he did since the beginning. And so God chose a family. What, how he unfolded his plan is he chose a family, Israel, that, who would be his people to then make his honor and glory and his likeness known uh, in the world. But they would continually fail. They failed again and again through a cycle of apostasy and sin, and leaders and judges and prophets were raised up by God, but only partially and only partially in repentance. And then God, again, uh, sadly, uh, had to let his people go, get, receive the, the, decision, the result of their own decision, and went into exile into Babylon. And so God's people were scattered, and that's basically the story of the Old Testament, this cycle of, of, of this repeating cycle of, of trying to pursue God, being redeemed, and then failing again and again and again. But God had a plan. The Father had a plan. And in that plan, as we know, as we celebrated today in communion, he chose Jesus, the Messiah, to come and bring redemption and do what humanity couldn't, to do what people couldn't do so that we could then have access as God's children into a relationship with God as a father again. And so this is the great plan, and, and this is what God we celebrate and what God has done for us and what we can think about on Father's Day. So God wanted his family back, and God had a plan, but as, after his resurrection, God's plan continued. He poured out a spirit on, on people, and he, and he gave the Holy Spirit to his followers so that then they could then continue to do, and they were empowered by the Spirit to continue the mission that Jesus accomplished, which was his Father's mission, and to undo the works of the devil, which are behind all the corruption and all the sin and all the terrible things that we see happening all throughout the world today. And so Jesus gave this command. Before he left, he gave his Father's command in Matthew 28, and that's known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission is where he, he gave the disciples the marching orders. This is the, in announcing the Father's plan that he had in, uh, conceived from the beginning. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. And in that, that, that word ethne, is which we get the word ethnicity, it means all ethnic groups or all tribal families, all tribes, tongues, and nations, all ethnic groups. And what God was doing was recreating, bringing back together again what had been broken at the fall. So God was creating a family of families. He wanted to create a family from all different ethnic people groups. No matter what the skin color is, no matter what the background was, God's heart was for all people at all times. And so we talked about last week that God values all people. God values all people no matter what their background, no matter what continent, what they look like, where they're from. It was God's heart in the beginning. That was part of God's plan to bring people. And that's what the gospel is. And so this idea of multi, a multicultural family is really core to the good news of Jesus, the bringing together a family of families to worship him and, and relate to him as a, as a God, as the Father. And so that is the, the Father's plan, God's mission, to bring together a family of families, a kingdom family, which united people. And it is, if you think about the thing that all people are searching for, the politicians, that the wars are trying to solve, at least in theory, is this, this is quest for world unity. Well, God has a plan for world unity. And Jesus makes it certainly possible, except many people have rejected God's plan, sadly. So God had bigger plans. And so the disciples, they thought that God was just going to restore the kingdom of Israel. And they, they had these questions in mind about God's plan, and they were still thinking really small. And so in Acts 1, this is what happens. So let's, let's take a look at that scripture. So they, they, Jesus rose from the dead. He's about to go back into heaven. 
and they're asking, they're trying to figure out what the, what the plan is here. And so they, they gathered around him, Acts 1, verse 6, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates or the father that, that the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus, what he does is he says, guys, you're, think, you're thinking too small. You're thinking too small. You, I know you understand the kingdom is going to be restored to your people, but in my heart, my plan is to create a new family, a family of families, and he empowered his disciple to be filled with the Spirit, to do the works and continue the things that Jesus did to create a cross-cultural community where the disciples would go to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so when Jesus said that, one of the ways that we can look at that, Judea represents, uh, and Ken represents, the people you understand who are culturally most like you. So the Judeans, the Jews, at the time, they were very like one another. They were of the same ethnic heritage. They had the same mindset, same culture. So the Sumerians, um, it's, they were half Jewish, or they were light, but they were more of a cross-cultural kind of people. So Samaria was close by, but they were of a different culture. And so Samaria, when we think about our missiology, our understanding of missions, in other words, or carrying out this mission of helping God's family come united under him, uh, those are the people who are close by to you physically, but are uh, a little bit of a distance culturally. And so today in America, this is very common. In our country, and that's one of the things unique, as I speak to people from overseas, I ask them what's different. I was just speaking to a, a father on the soccer field. I said, what's, what's so different about our country from where you came in Pakistan? He said, well, it is amazing how this country is just a mix of so many different cultures. And I thought, yeah, like actually, I, I guess I take that for granted, that there's a, there's a cross-cultural mix. And so even just in, in, in this area, we have hundreds of cultures represented. And so there are people who are physically close to us, but it takes a bit to cross the, dis the cultural distance around them. And so there may be a, a sense of, of that happening here, which there is. So those are the, uh, that's Samaria. And then, of course, the ends of the earth, which is basically everywhere else places like Japan or Bolivia or Australia, wherever you might go, God's heart is for the entire world. And so there's a calling on the church to reach Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And this is the, the commission for God's people and part of, God, of what God's plan is. And so if you are a child of God, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you know what God's plan is? You. You are the plan. You are God's plan to reach Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You are. You might be thinking, wait, me? I just work here. You know, like, uh, there's, there's a sense of, like, overwhelming. Like, that's, I, wait, I'm supposed to be part of the plan? Yeah, it's overwhelming. It can, it can be very overwhelming. Jesus has given us, in fact, an impossible task to do. He's given us more than we thought. We think, you know, I'm not old enough or experienced enough or I'm not godly enough or I'm not. But you, God had you in mind for this time, in this place, in this year, and wherever it is that you live and you work and you go to school, for you to be part of God's plan of redemption, for bringing the earth and all of its inhabitants and the people that he's put you in contact with into relationship 
with God again, with, with himself as a father and to reestablish. It's kind of like, I remember the first time I got the, the car keys. I said, I couldn't believe my dad and mom are giving me the keys. Almost before you're 16, you're like, hey, son, take the keys. It's yours. Go pick up the kids who are not in the family and bring them to the party. He throws us the keys before we're ready. We're like, oh, I don't even have my license. I don't know. I don't, how do I do this? Go out into the highways and byways, drive around, and bring them into my family. I want my house to be full. I want people of all different tribes and tongues and nations to come and worship and be part of my eternal family. And that is the heart of God. It is for every single person from all different countries. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the movie. I think it's called The Cave. It was on, I think it was on Netflix. But it was about, you remember a few years back, there was a, the, the, in Thailand, there was a bunch of kids who were stuck, got stuck in a cave because it began to flood and they were stuck. It was this incredible rescue mission. Um, and I mean, brilliant story, so I'll, I'll let you watch it. But it was, it's an excellent illustration for what God does for us, is, is that there were people who had different jobs. There were some people who set up logistics. There were farmers. There were engineers involved. And then there were people on the front line who, who went physically into the cave on scuba gear who had been trained specifically to, to do um, basically the impossible. And we might be thinking, you know, well, how do we do the impossible? But what God has done is he has given us, he has given each one of us gifts. He has given us his spirit. He has given us his word. He has given us each other and has empowered us each to have a specific role in the redemption of all things, in the gathering of people for his family and to bring people into relationship with him again. And I, I you know, I actually in my story felt this sense of call and I couldn't quite articulate it uh, at the time, but since I was young. In fact, I heard, uh, so the, the leader of Vineyard Missions, his name is Bubba Justice. It's a great name, but that's really his name. His name it's a real name, Bubba Justice. But Bubba uh, was doing some reading and found in his research that the average missionary was called at the age of five years old. And so what God does is he plants in people a sense of calling from a very, very young age. And I remember when I was five to, you know, my elementary school years, that's five even to like maybe 10, uh, my dad and mom too, but they, my parents would bring us to uh, the Church of the Savior. Anyone familiar? It's a local church here in, in, um, on the main line. But they would have these nights called Cosmos. And I don't remember anything I learned except that I could go to the different classrooms and eat different ethnic foods. And it smelled really good. But it did something in me. It like, oh, there's other nations out there, and they have really good food. And maybe I would going to go there too. So that was part of what God had done. And then I went to school, so elementary school. Part of my background is I went to elementary school at a school called Penn Christian Academy in Narstown. Um, and that school, what they would do is once a year, each classroom would be assigned a nation. And you would decorate the room. And you would learn, and everyone would have a different role, like someone would be like a royal guard, or someone would be the, um, you know, welcome people onto the Maid of the Mist in Canada, or whatever it was. Uh, one year we had Canada, one year we had Sri Lanka. Anyway, but the, after you would do that, the classes would tour each different nation. 
to go from classroom to classroom. And it was a wonderful experience. But what that did is it did something in my heart. And God formed something in me. And I knew from a young age that I had to learn Spanish for whatever reason. So I pursued and I took classes and I went to Venezuela and I went to Spain and I went to uh, communities where there were people speaking Spanish and I practiced and I practiced and practiced and practiced and and 30 years later, I'm getting close to learning how to speak Spanish proficiently. <laughs> but it takes, it takes intentionality. If there's the calling, if there's the vision, if God has given you the vision and you have an intention to do so, the means will come into place and God will empower you and give you what you need. And what each of us have, has a different role. Um, and for me, what that role was, was to be a partnership uh, leader, and I'll explain what that means in a minute. But I took a trip with Jess to when I I had been a teacher for about uh, maybe seven to eight years, and then I, I knew my time was coming to the end. And God spoke to me through one of those passages in Genesis and said, "Leave your family or leave your land and go to a new land." I knew what God was saying is to leave my job, not knowing what I would do next. And so I felt like God was calling us to actually go to Bolivia. So I quit my job. I looked for some online jobs and took my wife and two kids. Becca was like one year old at the time. Grace was maybe three, I guess. Uh, but we went to Bolivia thinking, hey, we're going to be missionaries in Bolivia. And we had a connection with a family there called the Hoffman family who were doing missions work and were connected to a small vineyard church plant that was there. It was like a pre-existing church that was in a little bit of a tough time. And we went and I felt like God said two things. One, you're supposed to work in Bolivia, but two, you're not supposed to live there. And just a few weeks later, I came on as an associate pastor of Blue Root Vineyard, which is a local church, and then began to work as the leader of a partnership, which is a group of churches that work together to establish an indigenously-led church planning movement. And as a church, the reason why we work in Bolivia is because of what God had called and the story that God had been writing in my life. And ever since then, we've been inviting along teams, and God has been building his heart for Bolivia which in fact is the poorest nation in South America and has really struggled. And our trips there have made a tremendous impact on helping resource and train and bring together a team of people who are forming a new, new identity as a, a miniature movement in and of themselves. And it's our hope that one day they will become a movement just like we have in the United States. And so I wanted to uh, finish just by sharing with you how we can do missions together and what that looks like uh, as a church. Because I'm not sure I've ever clearly, as clearly as I could, articulated what our missiology is, which is our understanding of how we do missions in the vineyard. So there's basically five core commitments that we have as a church. And the reason why they're applicable is because we're included. We get to be involved. God has a plan, remember, and we are part of the plan, that you are part of the plan. And we're called to reach our local context, the Conchhocken area, King of Prussia, Norristown, Bridgeport, Plymouth Meeting, Berwyn, you know, all these places that are surrounded here. But we also have a calling that extends beyond our, our local context into the far reaches of the earth. And well, Bolivia is pretty far. I mean, you take a plane, it takes about seven, eight hours, or if you're getting rerouted by American Airlines, you might go through Brazil and then over again. And, which is what we're doing, but that beside the point. So I want to highlight the five core commitments of Vineyard Missions, okay? So let's, I want to pull that up. So firstly, in the Vineyard, we believe in empowering local churches. So it's called local church-based mission. In other words, the primary responsibility for 
building God's global family in the world is not just on individual missionaries, it's not on missions agencies, although we work with cross-cultural workers and they're all important, it's on the local church. And so we believe, as scripture reveals, that the local church, filled with the power and the presence of God, really is the hope of the world. And so we work as a local church with local churches to establish communities of faith, basically families in country. When, when we work, we go as a church and we work with those local churches to develop long-term relationships. So we just don't take one trip and build a house and leave. What we do is we, we build family relationships. We're friends. In Bolivia, we work as friends with our brothers and sisters in different parts of the world, and it really is exciting. Um, and so we want to we want to be strategic and focused in our church's efforts rather than just kind of a scattershot approach. So maybe you've seen, have you been in a church, like an older church, and you kind of go in, there's this bulletin board of the world, and there's all the like pin drops and kind of, where it's kind of like scattered. No, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but what we do is we try to take all those pin drops and put them on one country and then put multiple churches to, working together in order to help focus and be strategic in that country. So that's the first kind of commitment that we have as a vineyard movement. Secondly, we build partnerships as a key strategy. Um, just because we're a smaller church doesn't mean that we can't be involved in missions. We work together in partnership with other churches. And so we're part of a network of other churches, or a few, actually two other churches, that work together to do together what we can't do alone. So we pull our resources, we pull our money together, we pull our... our spiritual gifts and our creativity and pray and work towards helping a local church movement emerge within a country. So we work in partnership with each other, but we also work in partnership with the indigenous leadership. And so we're responsive to them. For example, we're going, this trip we're going to on Wednesday when we leave, they've asked us to run a small group training because they have no idea how to run a small group. And so small groups are an essential part of our DNA as a movement and what we do as a church. And so we're going to teach them and equip them how to do, here's a simple model that you can do that's reproducible, how you can help care for people and reach people using, you know, uh, family groups, house groups, however they might want to, whatever contextualization they may want to use. And it's not, it's different, as you can see, partnership. It's different than their short term. And then Teresa mentioned that uh, a few months ago, I forget when it was, about this idea of voluntourism, where you go just to get an experience, it is kind of the opposite of that. It's, it, this is a long-term, like a 20-year commitment. I started working in Bolivia 15 years. So what we're doing now for this trip that's happening this week is a continuation of work that we started over 15 years ago. And in fact, one of the South American countries where we've seen a lot of movement and growth, uh, where Phil Strout, who was the previous national director work, was Chile, and that was 40 years of investment over the course of time. And so when you think about long haul, Commitment, faithfulness to, to one thing that God has called you to, that is what I feel is part of what our call is. Not the only call. We want to bless missions in Japan, and God's going to call people elsewhere, and that's why we want to bless what Elijah's doing. And if you have a sense of call to somewhere else, we want to get behind you. But this is part of kind of the bigger strategy of who we are as a church movement. Okay, number three. We're committed to establishing church planting movements, which we said. And so what we're not trying to do is develop dependency on, um, on Western churches, on American money. So one of the worst things is you can do is you can set up a system that is fully dependent on the supporters. So instead, what we're trying to do is we're trying to empower the indigenous people 
and the indigenous leaders to be able to have a self-sustaining ministry that they can continue on even after we've left. And so we come in and we want to establish a movement that itself can continue on its own after we've gone. We've come alongside of them, we've served them, and they then can continue, which is number four I mentioned, is raising up and releasing indigenous leaders. So we're not, I'm not coming in to lead a movement. What we're doing is we're trying to serve them and help release them. Kind of what Jack spoke about a couple weeks ago is he's committed, and his team, through WorldLink International, to helping empower indigenous leadership who are, can be far more effective in their own culture than we can. It could, it's going to take a lot more work and effort. It's going to take me the rest of my life just to speak Spanish right, let alone understand Bolivian culture and the heart of what it is. So, so the indigenous people know, know how to do it. Um, and then finally, is what we do try and do is contextualize vineyard values in each culture. So there's a common commitment to the vineyard uh, being contextualized. So meaning the people there have the role of making the gospel, of the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached and what we have to offer as a movement makes sense to the people in their, their local, uh, local context. And so these are kind of the, these are the five commitments. It's how we do uh, Vineyard Missions. And I have the privilege and honor of helping lead the Vineyard Bolivia Partnership and our initiatives in South America. But it's only to say is that we as a movement and we as a church are invited into something much bigger than ourselves, even beyond our local context, which is super exciting. And because of this, and because this is an ongoing commitment, we're going to continue to have opportunities for you to participate in missions work. So you can physically go with us to Bolivia, like Nick and Aaron, Jess, my wife, Isaac, my son, and myself, that we're doing. We're going together as a team. Teresa has gone before. Amanda, if you remember her, has gone before from her own church. You are, you are invited into this if you have a sense of call to work. And we have multiple ways that you can do that. There's a children's home there. There's, there's churches that we work primarily with who we empower to then go do, do the work. And, and, it's, and it is really exciting uh, to do that. So what I would like to invite you to, and I want to call out that there's some of you here who are called to international missions. There are some of you who are called to work in a different country regularly. And I want to bless that today. We want to bless the calling on your life. And there are some people here who are called today to work here locally, but cross-culturally with the people who are close to you. And there's a sense of more strength of call in that area. And then there's some of you who are like, your calling is to work in Judea, meaning with, within your cultural context. But whoever God has called you to work with, however, we are all invited. See, God has a plan, and you are part of that plan. And part of understanding this, getting caught up in the adventure that the Father has, is understanding and receiving and discerning what your role in the plan that God has for each and every one of you is. So the, the invitation has been given, and I would just invite you, I would love today to spend some time, if there's a couple people who could pray, the folks are going to go to, I'm going to get some prayer today. So if you would like to pray, and if you're going, so Nick and Aaron, and some of you who will be going, uh, Gabby is going, or, or Gabby is, is going, so we have a team, it's how many, six of us? So what did I say for so Jess, myself, Isaac, Nick, Aaron, Gabby. So there's six. So we would love some prayer. And as, you, as we um, go into next week, as you show some videos, we can highlight some of the pastors themselves. We would appreciate your prayers as we go to empower the indigenous leaders to do, to do this stuff and to help bring health 
into the life of the churches. And just some basic things that like being a healthy church and having a way to care for people might seem like a very basic thing to us, but for them, it's really struggled. This is something that can really help them not only with their church health, but in reaching other people uh, with God's heart. So let's do this. Let's take a minute. Let's just pause. And I'd like you to just ask a dangerous question. Is God, what do you think my role? What's my role in your, your plan, in your plan, Father? And then we're going to take some time and I'm going to invite some people, invite some people to pray. All right, so let's do that. We're going to just take a moment. Maybe the Lord will speak to you, put something or someone or a group on your heart. So Holy Spirit, would you help us discern our role today in your great plan of redemption and restoration for the world and all who live in it? What is my role, Lord? Would you speak to hearts now? So I'm going to give, like I said, I'll just give a moment of silence to let God speak to you. Thank you, Father, for your undying love and that your love for for each person here. And we praise you that you have love for every single human being on this planet, no matter where they are, whether they're in an outhouse in West Virginia or whether they're on the mountains of Tibet. Your love is amazing. And I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts, your heart, for the people around us and the people of the world that you've called us to reach. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.